You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, if you're, you've got a Bible, the place you want to be is Ephesians 6. But I want, to, I want to tell you ahead of time, we'll be looking at that towards the very end of the message. But go ahead and get there because you're going to want to see it. You're going to want to be there. I want to show it to you. I want you to underline some things at the very end as we finalize this series and actually bring it to a point of response and decision. And ahead of time, I want to let every head of each household know, and then every single adult in our church, that you'll have an opportunity to come forward at the very end and participate in in, in a response time where we are going to be challenged to receive something and to do something in response to this five-week series and to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 18. You know, it's a phenomenal thing. It really is. It's a phenomenal thing when we have questions that we can go to God's Word for answers. Amen? Isn't it phenomenal? It's just incredible. I love it. You know, in, in, in fact, God doesn't, God's Word doesn't have the answer to everything, meaning this. That if you want to find out how to cook my wife's chicken salad, you're probably going to have to go to her and say, what's the recipe? Can you show me how to do that? The Word of God doesn't tell you how to cook Carol Ann's chicken salad or your favorite dessert. I mean, there are some things, but I can tell you this, that the Bible has the answer to all questions concerning life and godliness. Amen? All the answers. And so today we go to God's Word for some answers to some questions. You know, when you preach a series like this, Throughout the series, I've had a lot of uh, opportunities to just talk individually, sometimes through a text message, sometimes through a separate appointment, someone, maybe uh, a coffee uh, time together, or someone has just kind of said, hey, preacher, I got a question. You in this series about spiritual warfare? What about this? What about that? And so throughout this series, I've gathered together some questions, some thoughts, some things that we've talked about. And I thought, you know what? What a great way to end. And I'm, I'm not going to be able to Unfortunately, this, this could be a sermon series in itself, but we won't have time to take a lot of time every question. I'm going to spend a little extra time on the first question and maybe the second, but we are going to, to address some questions, some things that have been brought to my attention. But here's what's exciting. The most exciting part of the questions is going to be the takeaway. So what's going to happen is after I finish talking about and discussing the question through Scripture, through the Word of God, giving an answer using God's Word, then I'm going to give you a takeaway, something practical. Something you can leave here with and say, wow, you know what? That is more than an answer. That's something I can use. I can take away from this service and I can practice in my own spiritual life. So let's put these six questions on the table this morning and let's talk about spiritual warfare and answer these questions using the word of God. Are you ready for question number one? Here it is. How could Jesus's temptation be real if he could not have sinned? Now, there's other uh, discussion that we could have on the impeccability or the peccability of Christ, which are big words that theologians use that, uh, that are very relevant and interesting. But can I tell you, just from a standpoint of a message this morning, we're going to just discuss it like this. Could Jesus have actually sinned? I would take the position and would think that most of you probably would say, no, Jesus Christ could not have sinned. It was impossible for Jesus Christ, the God-man, to sin. Some of the passages in Scripture that uh, in 1 John 3, 5 say, In him there is no sin. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, He committed no sin. 
There are several passages of Scripture, Mark chapter 1, verse 24, Luke 4, 34, and John 6, 37, where they all call Christ in these passages and other passages, the Holy One, the Righteous One. I love 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 21. We've referred to that several times in this series. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? And that's one of the things that we rejoice about this morning. So the Bible seems to be unequivocal in the fact that Jesus could not and Jesus did not sin. But James chapter 1 verse 13 says this. And I have it on the screen. That God cannot be tempted with evil. So I have a question for you this morning. Easy answer. I don't ask difficult questions. Was Jesus God? Yes. Good answer. Can God be tempted, according to James 1.13? No. But at the incarnation of Jesus, he became, for all eternity, the God-man. He became man. You see, fully God, and yet fully human. And when Jesus became the God-man, born of a virgin, he took upon himself humanity. And being, being fully human along with being fully God, but this morning for a moment, being the God-man, fully human, he was tempted to sin as Jesus, the God-man. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Scripture says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. We've looked together at Matthew chapter 4, those temptations of Christ. He was tempted in that wilderness to make bread. And that represented the temptation of our bodily desires that we feel. For instance, the hunger that we feel at times, those bodily desires that we have. Jesus was tempted by the devil to do something there. And that was a temptation towards bodily desires. Secondly, he was tempted to throw himself down from the temple. And, and have the angels come down to rescue him. And that is a temptation that towards pride. In fact, they went on to say that even, you know, you can do this. I mean, you know, the angels will come and, and, care, and catch you so that you won't even dash your foot against the stone. Look how great you are. And that was a temptation towards pride. We, we studied last week that Jesus answered each one of these with it is written with scripture. He was also tempted that all the kingdoms of the world would be given to him by Satan if he would just bow down. And we kind of chuckled at that last week to think that God would bow down to the one for whom he created. So how could the temptation be real if there was no possibility to sin? That seems to be the question this morning that we're going to address and have a takeaway from. And I like what Wayne, Wayne Grudem said on this particular study. And I used his textbook in one of my classes towards my counseling degree and and I read this, the moral strength, he said, Mr. Grudem said, of his divine nature was there as a backstop that would have prevented him from sinning in any case. But he did not rely upon the strength of his divine nature to make it easier for him to face temptations. And so we go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, which is a, an amazingly beautiful, powerful verse. And because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Why does this matter? Well, all of the truth of God's word matters. Let's say that just from the outset. 
All of the truth of God's word is practical. So here is the takeaway as it relates to Jesus being tempted. Takeaway number one regarding Jesus being tempted is this. I can have victory over temptation. Amen. And that's what we've been singing about. And that's what our worship pastor has been reminding us about. Hey, church. Hey, in in the midst of all of this teaching on spiritual warfare, do not forget that we can have victory over temptation because Jesus was tempted. I can have victory over temptation. Jesus did not fail, but Jesus did feel. He did feel. He felt temptation. And who do you think, just by way of illustration, who do you think feels the weight more in weightlifting? In weightlifting, do you think it's the one who attempts to lift the weight and then fails and drops it? Or is it the one who actually lifts the weight and holds it above his head and actually holds the weight up? I think you know the answer to that question. It's the one who successfully lifts the weight and holds it up. And I would suggest to you that the fact that Jesus never yielded to temptation may be the very reason why he felt more than any other person tempted like as we are. He felt it. He experienced it. Again, I remind you in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What? A comfort. What an example we have in Jesus Christ. I can have victory over temptation. Two, me, you, we both can. We all can. Amen. And we need to have victory. Because he had victory. And then I want to share with you a verse. And I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. What a great promise this is. That no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Didn't we sing this morning that God is faithful? Amen. I am not alone. You've always been faithful, we sang. God is faithful. And he's faithful to not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation. Pay close attention to this. And that's why it's capitalized. And that's why I want you to see it. He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God has provided for every temptation that you and I go through a way of escape. God will always give you, make a way for you to get out of that. I remember, it's a longer story, and it's actually an illustration that I often use when I preach at a camp. And I will be this summer again preaching, for whatever reason, I'll still preach at these youth camps with hundreds of teenagers. And I'm still hanging on, I guess, to a little bit of that youthful speaking. But I've often given this illustration that there was a time when I was 15 years old, I'd just been called to preach. Just quick illustration, I'll tell it short form, maybe a minute. I lived in, uh, at that time, my, uh, lived with my mom, a single parent mother, and I was 15. I was called to preach. I was already a Christian, and I had a family in our church. A deacon and his family invite me over to have dinner with him and his family and his daughter, who I thought was cute and sweet on a little bit. Went over to their house and had dinner, and I thought it was strange that the parents decided to go to bed and leave us alone in that mobile home. If you've ever lived in a mobile home, you know that they're usually about 16 feet wide. At least ours was that we lived in, honey. It was about 80 feet long. We lived in it for many years. And there's two doors in the mobile home. One's the front door you're entering to. The one's, and then there's another back door. There's always a back door escape, if you will. Stairs, maybe a little deck there. Well, she invited me to her bedroom. And I guess she intended 
for me to go back there. And I, I just had a really awful feeling. I knew that it was a moment of temptation for me as a young man. She invited me to sit on her bed with her and her parents were sleeping that evening. And I just remember standing in that doorway and thanking God that there was a back door right behind me. And I remember just yelling the words again to make it a short illustration. It's much longer than this when I tell it to teens. I remember yelling to, at the top of my lungs, no, I'm not going in. Then I turned around, ran out that back door and there were no stairs and there was not a deck. And I fell about... 12 feet to the ground and really, really injured myself pretty badly. But when your adrenaline's going as much as my adrenaline was going, I ran to my 1978 Ford Fiesta with a Razorback on the hood and I jumped in that car and escaped because God provided a way of escape. Can I tell you, there's been a lot of times in my life that I, I know God has provided a way of escape, a phone call at the moment where maybe I... Uh, some sort of an exit, some sort of a, I mean, just some miraculous way that God provided because he told me he would always provide that way out. Some of you men remember taking with me the, the, uh, the video series, Stepping Up. What a, what a video series that was. We had a great time together as men. And we went to, through this together, many of you in this building. I'm looking, I remember John Schroeder, I think, went through this Stepping Up. At least I think you did. Did you go through that, John? You don't remember? It's been, a, yeah, it's been about five or six years. Who remembers going through stepping up with me? Okay, Kim did, Brother Michelle, Mo did, Dave, you did. Okay, I thought, the one guy that didn't, I called out. All right, no, you may have. It's been about five years. So I'm studying this message, and all of a sudden, and this is a long video series. It's ten lessons and probably about six hours of video. And I remember this one story. So I went and found it, gave it to Ken, and I want you to see it. What I want you to notice as you look through this Especially men, but everyone, but especially men. I want you to notice, pay close attention. Is this man who's looking on the internet, on Facebook, something pops on the screen, things begin to move and go, and then I just want you to notice how God provided a way of escape. I'll comment about it as as the video ends. But just take a moment. I think God wants me to show you this today.
God, God will always provide a way of escape. Man, when he started looking at his ring and kind of realizing. And I remember what Adrian Rogers taught me years ago. Great preacher that's in heaven. I was hearing him preach and he said, you know, I take pictures of my family. Oftentimes when I'm tempted on a plane traveling, Satan puts something in my path and I look at my family's picture. And ask myself the questions, why would I want to ever trade diamonds for dirt? A way of escape. A way of escape. Man, when he went back there and kissed his little child to sleep, I'm grateful he could do that the next time and the next time and the next time. Because God always provides a way of escape. I'll tell you, the tempter's real. He'll come at you again and again and again. And I owe it all to Jesus Christ that I'm standing here today, married for 31 years and faithful to my wife. It is all because of Jesus. It is not my strength. It is not because I'm some sort of a great husband. It's not because, you know, I've never been tempted. Yeah, you know, I'm good. I never have bad. No, no, no. That, that's, that's the opposite of truth. The truth of the matter is by the grace of God that I stand here today. Because he has provided a way of escape. Because he had victory over temptation. I can have the same victory over temptation. It is the goodness of God that that has led me to repentance over and over again. And I simply share that with you today. Again, I remind you, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus' temptation was real, very real. He is our example and strength in temptation. Number two, can a Christian be demon-possessed? So much we can say about this. I think I'm just going to... I learned a lot from the first message, okay? It's one thing about preaching two messages is you learn maybe where you need to pick up the speed a little bit, where you need to slow down. Romans chapter 6 for the screen as we jump into this. There's a lot we could say about uh, some different things, and I encourage you... Uh, you know, to study and talk about this even beyond this, but let me give you some thoughts. Great stuff here from the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin. You see, our members as believers belong to Christ. We have hands and arms and feet. And the Bible says, remember that, well, actually, remember that old kiddie song we used to sing, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And now we look at a song like that and think, yeah, that's, that's old school. That's kind of, a, but in reality, it is so true. Those, those members of our body that we need to be careful to use as instruments for righteousness. And it says here, but present yourselves to God as those who've been bought Brought from death to life as your members to God, as instruments for righteousness, for sin. Here it is. We'll have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. And then in verse 16, it says this. Do not, do you not know? And by the way, sometimes when I read that in scripture, do you not know? My answer is, I didn't know that. Wow, that's incredible. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I I did know that. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves to the one 
whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Church, if you or I give ourselves to the enemy, we are slaves to that sin which we yielded to, which we gave ourselves to. We give it over and over again sometimes in a habitual sin situation. You are to that degree under control of the enemy, not demon-possessed, but demonized, if you will. There's a Greek word. That, the Greek word actually for demon-possessed in that passage is demonitsumai. It's demonized. Really, demon-possessed is, is something the translators put there. But in reality, it is, it is not demon-possession as in, for instance, we look at possession as in uh, a realtor would say, listen, you bought the house. You got the house. Your, your bank loan went through. You can take possession of your house. You own it now. The devil doesn't own anything. If you exercise your will and you say, I won't do that, I'm going to present myself to God, I want to be used by God, then you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's what God wants for all of us here today. When we're saved, yes, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's inside of all of us who are Christians, but we're not all controlled by the Holy Spirit. And Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, 27, Give no opportunity to the devil. He told the Christians in that church, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give Satan a place to stand in your life. Don't give him any access in your life. Don't give him a ledge to stand on. Remember, though, it's not about location. It's about influence and control. You can see so many are under the control. It's obvious. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see if a woman walks by a man and he checks her out and keeps checking her out and looks at her until she's out of his sight, he's got a problem with lust. He's yielded himself. He's yielded his, his eyes to the instruments of unrighteousness. And he's done that potentially over and over again. So can a person be demonized, influenced by the devil? Yes, he can. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, the Bible says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Wow. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil even after having been captured by him to do his will. These are powerful passages. Think of it. A believer held captive. So here's the takeaway. Satan cannot control anything against my will. What a takeaway for us this morning. Satan only has influence in my life where I have yielded that through habitual sin. And I've getting, given Satan a foothold in my life. But he cannot control anything against my will. Hebrews 10, 26 is a very powerful verse, very powerful teaching here. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Church, we have been given truth this morning. We must not go on sinning deliberately. We must not say, I know what's right, yeah, but I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do anyway. Stubbornly work 
walk off in, in the wrong direction, even though we know what's right. I can tell you that the enemy can get a lot of damage done in a short period of time with that kind of thinking. Satan can influence you even to the point that a believer would need the support of counsel and intervention of another to regain control. That's why we're thankful today for Christian counselors. Amen? We're thankful today that we can pick up the phone sometimes and call someone who has experience and say, look, I need some help. We can call the elders, maybe uh, even of the church. We can call an organization. Uh, We read this morning the testimony of the Gethsemane Outreach. Someone was called. Would you intervene? Would you help us with this gentleman? And we saw the results of that today in the baptism waters. Can a Christian be demon possessed? The answer is no. But he or she can be controlled by the degree that they allow. That's why I love James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Question number three. When is it appropriate for a believer to bind a demon or cast it out? I almost didn't even address this. I'll be honest, at times you face this as a pastor. Through 27 years of pastoring, I've had uh, this question brought to my attention on a number of occasions. Usually people that want me to take time in every service to have some sort of a, you know, miracle moment or miraculous moment, um, some sort of a sensational moment. Let me address that. Let's first address several false and unbiblical approaches to dealing with the enemy that are sometimes promoted even in the church. These are false approaches in my opinion. First of all, it's the approach that says, find it and bind it. Find it and bind it. Now, this concept we read of in Matthew chapter number 16, where scripture very clearly talks about Peter who had just said, you know, that Jesus Christ, you are the Lord. Uh, he, he, he confessed that. And then Jesus went on to say, Peter on the rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever, here it is, you bind on earth. And there are other passages that... That, that, that say this, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there's something here that we need to understand because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, based on that verse, there was a unique entrustment of authority to the apostles of Jesus Christ. A very unique trustment of authority. No question about it. In fact, the apostles and the prophets were foundational to the church. But the apostles had to have personally seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be an apostle. The apostles would have had to have been able to perform miracles on demand. Thus, we believe there are no more apostles. We believe they were foundational to the church. There was a unique calling to those men. And while I believe that God still heals people today, that's a good place for an amen. I believe he does. But I do not believe that God entrusts to any individual the ability to heal on demand. And that's where we have to be careful. Find it and bind it. Find it and bind it. Find this, bind this, cast this out, bind this. And then there's secondly, this when in doubt, cast it out. Now I want to say this. There is no doubt that Jesus and the disciples in the New Testament, without question, engaged in repeated occurrences where there was a casting out of a demon. In fact, I believe there are instances even today where a person has given up some moral ground to the enemy, to Satan, where they need assistance of the elders in the church to pray with them. 
It's one reason why I, I often carry my oil with me and, and I have the opportunity kind of on the spot without having, I don't always remember it, I'm really trying to be better at it because I am convicted that, that an elder should be ready to pray over someone, to anoint someone with oil in instances where it's needed. <clears throat> doesn't mean it's going to happen every day or all the time or every week, but it's, it's something God tells us in the church that we should be ready as people in the church call the elders to, to anoint them with oil, to pray over them. But I do believe there are extreme instances. There are some cases where maybe the devil is taking ground in someone's life and there could be a moment where there is some kind of a, of a, of a, of a prayer time where a demon could flee or be cast out. I, I, I say that very cautiously. I believe those are extreme instances. Those situations don't happen every day and all the time. These matters should involve an immense amount of discernment and prayer and discipleship. And this is why we're so big on discipleship here. Because we have to be so very careful. Because so many times people are making emotional decisions led by the pastor to make some emotional moment. Motion. All your problems are going to be gone. Let me hit you on the head. You're going to fall back. You know, how do you feel? Great. Good. See you later. Make sure to give an offering. And so we see this. And oftentimes we can, we can become entrapped by this. But let me give you a thought in Scripture. Luke 11, verse 24. When the unclean spirit had gone out. Remember we talked about great discernment and discipleship and prayer. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. Finding none, it says, it's been, it's been cast out. But finding no rest, it says, I'm going to return to the house which I came. I'm going to go back into that person, attack them again. So when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. It's gotten worse because the situation wasn't handled with any prayer, discernment, or discipleship. You see, we're not looking for some magical moment in church. We must use discernment in this, in this matter. It is not some sort of power encounter. It's rather a truth encounter. We must come under the influence of the truth. It's not about a personality. It's not about some sort of a, of a miracle that we just do, you know, all the time in church. I believe it is truth that defeats the enemy. And any ground that he has gained in my life is because of lies that I have believed. And so what do I do? I name the lie and I replace it with truth. The word of God. That's where the power is. And then finally, there's this hocus pocus losing focus. I say this tongue in cheek because there are so many of these deliverance ministries. And I'm careful not to be critical of any ministry. But I believe that so many border on this magical approach to spiritual warfare. We have not taken that for the past five weeks, if you've noticed. So it's not been about some sort of a seance or some sort of a let's enter into some territory of the devil and try to accomplish something. That's not been the purpose of this. These folks are focusing on their experiences and they build their entire theology on spiritual warfare based on these bizarre experiences that they had rather than digging deeply into God's word and getting their approach from Scripture. Because Scripture is where the answer is. The word of God is where the power is. So let's have our takeaway. Here's our practical takeaway. The enemy is very real. 
And we should be sober and vigilant and focused on the victory based on Scripture. Amen. That's it. That's the takeaway from this thought. And so I believe that we need more Scripture in our lives. And it's very revealing. Scripture is so powerful. In fact, let let me throw one at you here. Luke chapter number 10, verse 17 through 20. Very revealing Scripture. Were 72 men who had been anointed by God to do great works. You'll see this. This is amazing. So 72 men that went out and did some great things came back to Jesus. And here's what they said. They said, Lord, it's incredible. Even the demons are subject to, our, uh, to, 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 uh, to your name. And Jesus recognized how incredible it was. He said, yeah, man, I mean, I've seen Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I mean, it's, it's insane what's going on. It's incredible. It's awesome. And we rejoice, and God rejoices with them about what he had been doing. Behold, I've given you authority to tread serpents and scorpions, demonic spirits, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Here's what I want you to see. Very, very revealing here to me. This is powerful. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name, names are written in heaven. <laughs> this is what I want you to focus on. This is what I want you to rejoice about. We're putting so much emphasis sometimes, not us, but I'm talking about warning the church here. I'm giving you some thoughts. I'm answering a question to help you understand the direction of gospel light is not so much that we focus on bizarre experiences, but that we focus on the fact that our names are written in heaven. Jesus was saying, it is true that there are those who are filled with the Spirit of God in a position of spiritual authority who have the capacity to come alongside those who have been overcome by the enemy and to pray with them and disciple them and to counsel them. But the thing that you should be focused on is not that. You should focus on the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God. Amen. One final note. And it's in, your, it's in your notes. When facing intense spiritual warfare, seek the counsel of those in spiritual leadership in your life. And next week, we're going to talk about spiritual leadership. So this will be good for you to hear. Seek the counsel of those to pray with you, disciple you, so that you can get to a place where you can stand strong against the attacks of the enemy. Question number four. What is the connection between demonic activity and sickness? And I'm going to move quickly. I had to move quickly right here in the first service. So I'm going to try to finish my last three thoughts in about 10 minutes. So you got your seatbelts on? All right, here we go. I'm turning the the, the speed up a little bit here. You know, some people say that you're sick because of sin in your life. You just need more faith. And what happens is that does cause great guilt oftentimes in a person's life when they're approached like that. You know, we go, I don't suggest you make a hospital visit and walk in and say, you know, all right, what have you done wrong? That'll explain everything. You know, I don't think that's, not only is it not good bedside manners, it's not scriptural to do it that way. First of all, scripture does connect spiritual warfare and sickness in a number of places. So let's get that settled. Job chapter 2 is one where God gave Satan actually permission to attack Job's health. Jesus healed a woman who had a sickness caused by an evil spirit in Luke 13, 10. In Matthew 12, 22, I have this one on the screen. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Demon-possessed man and then physical manifestations of it. 
And then 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul called his thorn in the flesh, what? A messenger of Satan. James chapter 5 verse 14 says that, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. And then it says at the very end, And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So there's a connection there between sickness and sin. There's many passages of Scripture that connect physical health and our spiritual condition sometimes. However, Scripture can also separate the two very, very easily discerned. A couple of examples. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. All of these are separate. Usually when we saw healing in the Bible, it involved a touch. When we saw casting out demons, it involved a word. They were, they were different. There was a separation there. John chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, it wasn't this man that, uh, it was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's not sin in him or his parents. I'm working in this man's life to bring me glory. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the takeaway. Whenever I'm sick, I should explore both physical and spiritual causes. I believe 1 Corinthians makes it very clear that some were sick because of their disrespect for the Lord's table. It's very obvious. It cannot be avoided in Scripture. It's 1 Corinthians 11, 29, and 30. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Very, very clear. So what should we do? We should examine ourselves. Again, see the balance here. Whenever I'm sick, I should not dismiss the fact that there could be something in my life that I need to deal with. But it doesn't mean that there is. Question five. What is the role of angels in spiritual warfare? This one was the number one uh, question that was asked. More questions about angels. Are you going to talk about angels? Are you going to talk about angels? So let's just for two minutes, a little overview of angels. 427 times, 427 times mentioned in the Bible. 295 times they're called angels or angel. 94 times cherub or cherubim. Nine times holy ones. Here's some additional facts about angels. Nehemiah 9, 6, they were created by God to worship and serve him. Matthew eighteen ten says they stand in God's presence. Colossians 2.18, they must not be worshipped. Hebrews 1.14, they're spiritual creatures that cannot be seen unless God grants us the ability to do so. Daniel chapter 10, they're not omnipresent. Hebrews 13.2 says, we may sometimes show hospitality to an angel and not even know it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So the Bible says. Hebrews 12.22 speaks of myriads of angels. Myriad is a lo- the largest numerical term in the Greek language. It's, it, it means the max, countless, innumerable. I think it'd be safe to say there's more angels than people on planet Earth easily, by far. Now for the screen, Hebrews 1.14, take a look. Are they not all angels, ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Who's that? Is that us? So these ministering spirits are sent out to serve us. Here's the takeaway. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I'm not alone. I'm comforted by those who resist the enemy with me. Hallelujah. Ministering spirits. 
God has given us these ministering spirits along with himself. This is an amazing thing. Zechariah 1.10 speaks of angels patrolling the earth and fighting against demonic forces on our behalf. Psalm 34.7 says that angels guard and protect us. We are not alone. And we have Jesus Christ the Lord and an angelic host fighting and laboring on our behalf. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. All right, that's the angels. Number six, and we're done. What can I do in this battle? Now, I want to close with our text, Ephesians 6. Fighting to win. Don't miss this. We talked about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. I'm closing the message here in just three to four minutes. I have right here something that Ken Reed prepared for me. I asked him to do it. He did a wonderful job. Just nailed it. He said, Ken, I'd like to give our church family a laminated card. I want it done as nicely as you can. And I want to talk about the armor of God. But there's one specific thing I want to make sure we don't leave off. And this is the first time I'm mentioning it today. So let's talk about real quickly, Ephesians 6. Just keep that up on the screen and kind of go through as I, as I you know, talk about the pieces. First of all, there's the belt of truth. Remember, we talked about putting on that belt of truth, which is protection against hypocrisy. Just being real and telling the truth about yourself and your relationship with God. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. We likened it to that bulletproof vest that we must put on. And it's protection against the condemnation of the enemy and we, we, who we are in Christ and that we have won the victory and sin does not have dominion over us. And we wear that breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, not our own. And then there's the shoes of readiness, the gospel of peace, right? And we wear these shoes as protection against complacency, where we are complacent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wear these shoes so that we wake up every morning and say, Holy Spirit of God, help me to walk the path that you would walk and help the people that you would help if you were here in my shoes. Readiness. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to talk to people about Jesus. And then the shield of faith. This is protection against the damaging emotion of doubt and fear. Some of the things we've sung about that just really... really require us to have faith, to believe that God is in control and God's got this and to believe the truth of the word of God against the lies of the devil, the shield of faith. And then there's the helmet of salvation. I love this one. It's the ultimate promise of victory. I'm saved. I mean, listen, worst case scenario, I'm going to heaven, amen? I told somebody the other day the story about, it's, it's an old timey story about old John R. Rice when he was robbed at a bank and somebody held a gun to his head and Said, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me all your money. And Mr. Rice looked at him and said, you can't scare me with heaven. Amen. I got the helmet of salvation on. (laughs) You shoot me, I'm going straight to Jesus. That's a pretty good approach to things. Amen. I like that old time approach. I love it. And then the sword of the spirit. The battle is won with scripture. We need scripture. We need the word. So we're going to memorize and study it and go to small group and get as much of it as we can. But now for the closing of the message. That's the armor. But how do we put it on? Is there a way that God actually said to put it on? Here it is. He said, praying at all times in the spirit. And then he repeats himself. Pray at all times with prayer. Pray with prayer. And supplication. That's prayer. To that end, keep Alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. So here's the takeaway. You put on the armor of God by praying at all times with all perseverance for all the saints. 
Church, we, are, we desperately need a personal relationship with God where we are praying for one another. I know my family knows this, but I want to confess to them right now that your dad, your husband, is every single day of my life, wherever I am, every day. Oh, God, would you put a hedge of protection around Mo and Susanna? Would you put a hedge of protection around their marriage? Would you help them to live for you and to keep their eyes only on one another? Would you help Lane and MJ to get saved when they first understand the gospel? Would they grow up to love you like they love no one else? Oh, God, bless Joe and Tiffany. Bless their marriage. Give them wisdom. Bless their finances. Bless their home. Help Julie and Bentley to get saved when they first understand the gospel and though KJ's made a profession of faith if he's not sure he's saved God help him to get saved and help KJ to overcome his anxiety and the fear that he has when he's separate from his mother oh God put a hedge of protection around them God please put a hedge of protection around Zoe help him to marry God's perfect will for his life oh God help him to keep his eyes on you and you alone oh God help him to be safe and strong as a young man in this world of sin God bless Chloe put a hedge of protection about Chloe help Chloe to marry God's perfect will for her life Keep her eyes on you, oh God. Oh, Father, when temptation comes her way, when guys flirt and when they, when they tempt her, Lord, may she stay strong and, and realize that her body is, is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, oh God, I pray for Glory Ann. God, help her to go potty on the toilet. God, help her to go to the bathroom. God, help her to get out of those diapers. God, help Carol Ann to deal with her. Help me to deal with her. Help us to have compassion on that little girl. Help her to keep changing our lives, oh God. Help her, God, to be a testimony of your grace and your love and when we get to heaven, oh God, and she's just like everybody else, and she's been given a new body, I pray that everybody would get to meet her and see her and know her in a different light every day. Every day. That intense sweat, intense crying out. God, put on the armor. I need this armor, God. I put it on as I face the world today. And so what I've done is I've made you a copy of this. And as you... If you would like to, and I know it takes a little courage to do this, but I would like to ask as we sing and we worship, I'd like to invite one member of every family. If you're a single adult, you're that one. If you are someone who's here by themselves, I'm talking to you. But I'd like to invite you to come and get one of these. I've laminated for you. It's color. It's nice. Maybe you could put it in in a place that you could look with your family and every day be reminded. It gives you all of the armor. And then it says, praying at all times. You put it on with prayer. You put it on with prayer. So I'm going to stand up front. Doug, would you come and help me? I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to come and stand, we're going to stand together. But if you want to come, this went really well in the first service. It seemed to go smoothly. Just take your time. We'll give you each one. And I think I've got some more that have been made. Um, Thank you, Carrie. Father, Lord, I thank you for this service. God, we're going to sing resurrected king in just a moment we're going to ask you god to do a powerful work i pray that we have enough of these cards lord but if not we'll get more we'll make more god i pray that you'd please fill us with your spirit help us lord to truly this morning as we end this series to begin a closer walk with you and a closer greater understanding of the enemy and the great god that we serve that has already crushed satan under his feet in jesus name we pray That we would just, Lord, hide behind the cross and live in resurrection power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may stand.